Welcome to In Conversation with Our Food Future, the podcast series that's following the creation of Canada's modern circular food economy here in Guelph and Wellington County. I'm Jonathan McNeese, manager of Our Food Future. Co-hosting the podcast with me today is Ashley Cooper, program advisor with the Smart Cities office. Welcome, Ashley. Thanks, Jonathan. At its core, a circular food economy is inspired by nature, and in nature, there's no such thing as waste. Just like in an ecosystem, success is finding solutions that help all beings have the things they need. In our regional circular food economy, we're aiming to ensure that everyone in our community has access to affordable, nutritious food. This focus is one of our food future's three primary areas of work, and why we're joined today by our guests. Lisa Needham is a registered dietitian and a public health nutritionist who holds a Bachelor of Applied Science and a Master of Science from the University of Guelph. Lisa has worked for Wellington Dufferin Guelph Public Health for 17 years. Lisa embraces any opportunity to work on food community initiatives aimed at addressing food insecurity and improving the food environment so that everyone can access, prepare, and enjoy healthy foods. Welcome, Lisa. And Rachel Ackford holds a Bachelor of Biomedical Science and a Master of Public Health from the University of Guelph. She works for Wellington Dufferin Guelph Public Health as a health promotion specialist. Part of her role at Public Health is to support research, evaluation, and knowledge exchange. She's also pursuing a part-time PhD with the Guelph Family Health Study. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks, Jonathan. So let's pull our chairs around this virtual kitchen table and get the conversation started. So first to you, Rachel, coming very soon, after more than a year of research, the Nutritious Food Workstream released its Food Environment Assessment Report. At 150 pages long, it's a pretty comprehensive look at how we access food in the Guelph-Wellington region. Rachel, to start us off, can you tell us a bit more about how your team defines the local food environment and what the Nutritious Food Workstream looked at in their research? So we know people make on average 200 food-related decisions every day about what, where, when, and how much to eat. Most of these decisions are unconscious and shaped by our food environment. So when we talk about the food environment, we're referring to our surroundings. That's the physical, social, economic, cultural, and political factors that impact food availability, affordability, and accessibility. And we recognize that it's difficult to make healthy choices most of the time when nutritious options can be hard to find, not as convenient, or perhaps the pricier option. The Nutritious Foods Workstream has a goal to increase access to nutritious foods by 50% by 2025. To reach this goal, we decided we first needed to understand the features of our local food environment. From June of 2020 to September of 2021, we completed an assessment the food environment assessment. It brings together past research and local data to help us better understand, are nutritious foods readily available? Are they easy to get to? Are they affordable? How are they promoted? What are people really buying? And what kind of local programming and infrastructure exists in our community? In the end, the assessment serves as a snapshot of food access in Guelph, Wellington, that we intend to use to guide our planning and decision-making. That's so interesting. We're excited to hear more about the, the research as it emerges. Um, for our second question, when we think of people's access to the food they need, we usually think of it in terms of the cost of food. 
which is obviously very important to people right now as we are seeing food inflation with more expected drastic increases in food prices. Lisa, the report acknowledges the cost of food deeply impacts food access, but also looks at other factors too. When we think of tackling food security, can you explain everything that goes into how we should define access to nutritious foods? Yes, that's a really good question. And this was actually a really important consideration for the Nutritious Food Workstream. There's so many definitions out there, and we actually spent a lot of time in the beginning of our work developing a common understanding for our work. And so our group looks at food security as a broad community goal, and we actually define food security as a condition that exists when all people at all times have both the physical and the economic access to adequate amounts of nutritious, safe, and culturally appropriate food to maintain a healthy and active life. And I should just point out that it's not the opposite of household food insecurity, which is often confused. And when we talk about food insecurity in the Canadian context, it does relate to a household. And the definition of household food insecurity is having inadequate or insecure access to food due to financial constraints. So it's really just one aspect of the broader condition of food security. So someone could have the financial means, but still not consider themselves food secure. So I'll explain this a little bit more about the four areas of how we define nutritious access and how we hope that will lead us to a food secure community so that everyone has access to affordable, healthy food. And so the four areas that we really look at to achieve food security, the first one is physical access to nutritious foods. So we need to ensure that healthy foods are available always on a consistent basis and that the supply is available in your residence. So even just think about the current pandemic and the supply chain issues. This impacted our ability to physically access certain foods. And so these are the factors and things we need to consider to ensure that the foods we produce regionally and the foods that we bring in from other regions, that it's always consistently available to us wherever we are. So physical access is one key component. Another key component is the economic access piece. And again, this is where food insecurity fits in. And so we know that there are many households that are financially constrained and not able to buy healthy food. And so we really need to look at some of those root causes of why people are financially constrained. So things like housing costs, low social assistance rates, precarious employment, these are all part of our considerations when we look at people being food secure. And often people wanna focus on lowering food costs, but we really need to balance that with ensuring the people in the food system including the farmers, have enough income to support their food system jobs. So there's a lot to consider around economic access. And then you think about the families, the third area we have to work around is they might have physical access to healthy food and they might be able to afford that healthy food, but they might not be informed of how to make good decisions around food and how to use that food in their household. So we need to ensure that we have lots of opportunities for nutrition education and skill building so that people make informed decisions about what foods they're buying. And when the foods come into their household, they're utilizing those foods in a way that they're consuming them so that they don't, do not lead to food waste. And so that's another key area that will lead to food security. And then the last area is the promotion of nutritious foods. So we need to ensure we're not only promoting and celebrating healthy and local foods regionally, but we also need to consider the exposure we all have to unhealthy influences in our food environment and how we can reduce that exposure to promote healthier food decisions. Less healthy options are often promoted far more than our healthy options currently in our food environment. And this influences the food decisions we make daily. So things like convenience stores, fast food restaurants, vending machines, they're all very easily accessed, but we all know they provide very little healthy food options. So these are all key areas that we need to look at. So again, if we can address all four of these areas, we can create a community with a healthy food environment that will help to provide food security for all.
That is fascinating, Lisa. I've never, I've never really thought of it in terms of all of those four areas. I tend to just, you know, rest at the economic piece when there's really so much more involved. Um, the third area you mentioned was this notion of literacy and skill building. And that leads me to my next question, which is looking at food waste. So food waste is something that we're committed to addressing in our food future. Uh, we know that food waste is a systemic issue with much waste occurring before it makes it to our homes. But how does household food waste factor into the food access picture? I'm going to send that over to Rachel. Great question. So partners of the Our Food Future project completed a food waste flow study. Through their research, they found that households throw away almost 25% of the edible food they buy from retail food outlets. And they're throwing away mostly nutritious foods like fruits, vegetables, grains, and plant-based protein. This suggests that there could be barriers in the home that lead people to throw away nutritious foods, such as not knowing how to prepare certain foods, improper storage, or maybe a lack of planning. It's important that as a community, we work to ensure there are opportunities for everyone to develop food skills and knowledge so that people can actually prepare and consume the foods they are buying. We also want to shift attitudes so that people really value nutritious foods and make preventing food waste a priority. Well, thanks, uh, Lisa and Rachel. You've really highlighted some of the complexities of food access uh, and that it requires a, a real multi-pronged approach or solution. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what you learned and what maybe surprised you a bit. Uh, there's a lot of important information in this report, but what stood out as the most compelling things you discovered, uh, whether it be good or not so good, about our local food environment and people's ability to access nutritious foods? Lisa, why don't we start with you and then we'll go over to Rachel. Sounds good. I think it just always amazes me how much there is to consider with the food environment. The report just shows how many places we engage with food. And I think sometimes we forget how much we engage with food on a daily basis. Think about where you encounter foods in your day, where you live, you work, where you are in the community, and then think about the types of foods you encounter. This report just really shows how many influences are out there and how they often encourage us to make poor food decisions. And I don't think the findings will really shock anyone, but they certainly remind us that we have so much work to do to make healthy choice the easy choice. And just some of the examples of some of the stats that did shock me, I'll just share. So the fact that 80% of food-related advertisements within 500 meters of schools promote highly processed foods and drinks is really quite shocking. And when we look at local vending machines, almost all of the food and beverages are sweet and salty snacks or sugary drinks. And then in grocery stores, the fact that for every display of fruits and vegetables, there's three displays of highly processed foods. And when we did our GS mapping of all the food retail in the region, it was just so shocking to see how we're exposed to so much more unhealthy food retail than healthy retail. And then lastly, the fact that 12% of households in Guelph Wellington report having inadequate or insecure access to food due to financial constraints is just so shocking. And I think it just makes it so clear how difficult it can be for residents to make healthy food choices and the many reasons related to availability, promotion, affordability that tend to all favor less healthy choices. But the good news is, now that we've identified the problems, I think we can really see that there's just so much opportunity for us all to come together as a community and address the key areas that we've identified so that we can make the healthy choice, either the default choice or at least the easier choice to make in our community. Yeah, I agree with Lisa. I think the findings really demonstrate that everyone has a role to play. 
It's important to acknowledge that the onus shouldn't just be on the individual to make healthy choices all the time. We need to keep in mind the entire system and how we can set our community up for success. This could mean advocacy efforts, modifying policies, subsidizing or incentivizing offerings, strengthening our local programs, or perhaps developing personal skills and awareness, to name a few strategies. It certainly requires a group effort. Our workstream is thinking about municipalities, institutions, businesses, workplaces, schools, households, really how everyone can get involved. We're very fortunate to have already built valuable relationships through our Free Futures Network, and collaboration will continue to be important moving forward. So it sounds to me like making the healthy choice the easy choice requires a real systems change approach. You have to look at it from many different levels uh, to make that the default choice. And you also have to make it really exciting and tasty and something that's delicious as well. I know you'd agree to that. So, so Rachel, what's next for this project? Uh, how will you take what you've learned um, from the Nutritious Food Workstream and build it into an action plan to improve food access in Guelph and Wellington County? Next, we'll be hosting community engagement opportunities to ask questions, listen, and empower change. We'll be asking the community what they've noticed about the food environment, if our key findings resonate, if they have ideas about actions we can take, and also who wants to get involved in these efforts. If folks have an intervention, whether that's a program, a project, or a policy that they'd like to lead that will increase access to nutritious foods, they can submit their idea to us through an online form and be granted up to $20,000. If folks would like a more collaborative process, where they can work with others to build up their ideas and decide how $100,000 should be divided up, they can join our COACT collaborative that will be starting the second week of March. Once we've gathered input about what the community would like to see and who's ready to take action, we'll summarize all of this into a food security and health action plan. So for anyone interested in the opportunities I spoke about, you can visit ourfoodfuture.ca for more information. That is so exciting. I am so excited to see what um, folks in our community start to come up with for these projects. I think the best part of this project is that um, we have a deep history of food activism in Guelph and Wellington, and we're seeing people from all across the food system are showing up to work on the on the initiatives across the board. And I think that some of this is because um, food is so elemental to who we are as humans. Um, and it's emblematic, emblematic of how we express our love and caring and how we come together uh, as a community. So um, all that being said, we'd like to wrap up our discussion by asking our guests to share a memorable meal, a family or cultural food tradition or connection to the land and growing food that's meaningful to you. And can you reflect a bit on what you think you're bringing to, with you to the work and your passion for reimagining a better food system? Uh, let's start with you, Lisa. Sure. Um, that's an easy answer for me. It's definitely my grandmother's homemade vegetable meatball soup served with fresh baked buns and strawberry and custard. Um, my grandmother loved to cook. Most of the ingredients were local. We actually owned a small butcher shop growing up and my retired grandparents lived in the same building and had a garden in the backyard. And I just remember my grandmother making the meal and just like how much love and time she put into the process. And again, most ingredients were from her garden. The meat was from the butcher shop and she made almost everything from scratch. My family worked really hard on Saturdays and it was just such a treat to be able to take our lunch break at my grandparents and enjoy such a lovely meal. The food was delicious, but it was really the care and love that went into the meal and just the love that you felt in the room. 
And I think that experience just really made me value where my food comes from and to really enjoy the cooking process and to also enjoy the tastes and flavors that come from freshly sourced food and that real importance of sharing meals with others and the joy and connection that that brings to our lives. And I really just want everyone to have that experience. And it's actually the root of why I became a public health nutritionist. And it's why I have a passion to improve the food system and the food environments around us, because I just really want everyone to have that opportunity to be able to select, buy, prepare, and consume those healthy foods, and especially in the accompaniment of other people. Thanks, Lisa. How about you, Rachel? One weekly tradition or routine my household has really embraced is meal planning and batch cooking. We started doing this at the beginning of the pandemic as a way to reduce our shopping trips, but now it's become such a game changer for us. Every Friday, we scour Pinterest and cookbooks looking for meal inspiration. We pick our meals and snacks for the week, make an online shopping list, then head to the store. We then spend Sunday mornings cooking all of our meals for the week while listening to music and spending time together. This routine helps us eat balanced meals, waste less, and has definitely saved us time and money in the long run. It's made me realize that planning ahead and cooking tasty meals doesn't have to be overly complicated. I think sitting on the Nutritious Foods Workstream has taught me a lot about food in our region, and I would love to see Guelph Wellington become a place where nutritious foods are really promoted and celebrated. Those are some great uh, food stories to both of you. It's amazing just how food and community and family are just so intertwined. And I can relate to you, Lisa, with growing up with uh, grandparents that owned a butcher shop and just kind of knowing how that's just just part of your, your family culture and uh, really brings everyone together. So thanks, everyone, for this important conversation today and to our listeners for your time. Again, I'm Jonathan McNeese, the manager of Our Food Future, and my co-host has been Ashley Cooper, program advisor with the Smart Cities office. We were joined today by Lisa Needham and Rachel Ackford from our local public health office and members of Our Food Future's Nutritious Foods Workstream. The Food Environment Assessment Report and details on how community organizations and individuals can participate in discussions about how best to turn these findings into action can be found on foodfuture.ca. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any ideas for a show or comments, you can email us at foodfuture@guelph.ca. Until next time, take care. And if you'd like to join the growing circular economy movement, visit foodfuture.ca.